Oh, oh gosh, Jess, I just woke up from a like a six week long nap, feeling very refreshed. That was like layers of dreams. It was very trippy. Uh, now, now I feel like I had so much sleep. I'm gonna have insomnia. See what I did there? Both an Inception and insomnia joke. That's right. The much-anticipated Christopher Nolan ranking episode. Jess and I are going to break down all of Christopher Nolan's films and where we think they rank on episode 58 of the podcast. Cue the music. Welcome, everyone, to the Entertainment Fay Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon Prosek. And I'm another one of your hosts, Jessica Quaz. Gosh, Jess, did you have a good nap, as I did? I did, but I'm still sleepy. <laughs> we're, we're, just so, like, full disclosure for our listeners, we are recording this in the morning, and neither one of us are morning people, so it's the first time we've ever recorded um, this early in the day, so we're, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, so you're welcome. <laughs> no, yeah. just, just get angry at the listeners. This is all for you. Yeah. Do you see what we do? Do you see what we go through? Um, yeah, Jess. So it's been a little while since we've been able to uh, do our last podcast episode. What uh, what have you been up to with uh, your your summer ending and fall starting soon? Um, you know, just been working a lot. I just got back from uh, a really awesome trip. Um, I went to see four national parks, two in Colorado and two in Utah. So it was like wow. a big, long road trip. Um, I'm kind of obsessed with national parks. Uh, one of my goals is to see all of them before I die, um, which sidebar, I told someone that the other day, and they thought I was actually currently dying. <laughs> um, it was really awkward because I, I, it was so strange. Like, I, I just mentioned, like, oh, one of my bucket list things, like, before I die is I want to see every national park. And he was like, oh, I well, I hope you get to them in time. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> me too. Like, yeah. And then you know I what know... You, you know what you should like, have said? Hmm. <laughs> uh, like, when he was a little flustered, like, oh, like, uh, uh, are you dying? You should have just been like, well, we all are. <laughs> just at different paces. Just like, give it back to him. Just like think about that. We all are. Um, it was really weird. I didn't know that he thought I was dying though, until he was like, you know, there's like national parks in Alaska. Like that could be really hard to get to. And I was like, yeah, no, I know. Like, um, I was like, yeah, I'll, you know, what? I will do that. Like years down the line, Alaska, I will do it one day. But I, that's like a while and he's like oh so you have time and i was like what are you it's like yeah and <laughs> he's like oh it's like a coworker, um <laughs> who like i don't work that closely with so i guess like maybe i didn't have an opportunity to tell him i was dying in his mind but then it was also like do i look like i'm dying like oh my god because i don't think i look like i'm dying i think i look <laughs> fine so it was like yeah so that happened someone thought i was dying but anyway <laughs> oh my god um, yeah, so I have four national parks crossed off the bucket list now, which is really exciting. Um, and yeah, let's hope I get to the rest of them before I ultimately die. Yeah, before you kick the proverbial bucket. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that sounds like an awesome trip, Jess. You've definitely been to way more national parks than I have. That uh, and it, I, the, <laughs> I hope you get to them in time. And I like the way he's like, you know, Alaska could be really hard. Like it's this horrible place, like to try to get into, like this insurmountable feat to get to Alaska. Like people go there, people live there. Like it's not a difficult situation. <laughs> Right, there are like planes, and um, if not, I could drive through Canada. Like I, it's thing. Also, though, like, what if I actually like was dying? That's like a, he to handle that really terribly. Because like, what if I actually did have cancer, and he was just like, "Ooh, yikes! Ooh, I hope you get there." Ooh, like, yikes! Buddy, like, give me some support. Like, that's so fucking rude. If I was actually dying, like, ah, like what, he handled that so terribly. <laughs> yeah, really. You should have just been like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, and I hope you get to it, and then just like, like left it at that, like, or just, I don't know. That's, <laughs> I wish, like, that seems like a, a situation that I would have loved to just be a fly on the wall to see how awkward this this person was acting. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and I really didn't get that. Like, there was, like, five minutes of the conversation where I just didn't realize he thought I was dying either, so I was just like just shooting the shit and, like, talking, and then I realized, like, oh, this is a much deeper conversation for him than it is for me because he thinks I'm, like, actually dying, and I had to clear that up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jess, yeah, I uh, have not been visiting national parks. I have been um, doing a little thing, like, I got a new job, a new job that's in the city, so I'm not driving back to the burbs 80, 90 minutes each way anymore. I'm, like, officially back in Chicago. Like, I've been moved back for a couple, like, two, three months now. But, like, now that, like, I work down here, too, like, I'm, I'm down here. I'm, <laughs> I'm not, like, half in the burbs, half in the city anymore. And first time in, like, a good three so years. So, like, it feels good. And I'm excited at this new job. I've also been trying to work on draft two of my new play, Pizzas and Zombies. So, uh, yeah. And also, if anyone would like to check out... Um, Joe Mangles and I are going to be releasing our comic book, Flintlock, very soon. So be on the lookout for, for that. I will share it on the Entertainment Buffet social medias on like where you can check out that as well. Yeah, lots of stuff going. You know, we're, we're traveling. We're working on projects. We're, uh, we're busy people. And so we apologize to the listeners that it's been a little while since the last episode. But we're going to try to get on a more consistent basis uh now that we're getting into the fall season here and our schedules can kind of line up a bit better yeah one thing that was like really holding us back this past month was our hours just like never worked out like brandon works during the day and i work at night um so it was really hard to just like get us to align um but our schedules are now changing. Brandon got a new job. My schedule changed next month, so we'll get more consistent with it. So we're sorry. Um, I hope you missed us. I hope you're not <laughs> sick of us. I hope you weren't happy we were gone. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think so. We've been. Uh, I I just want to uh, say to all the listeners who have been catching up in the in the meantime and the new downloads, we we appreciate you and we hope you like this episode and. Some episodes we got coming up. We episode fifty nine. Jess and I are gonna do our annual summer movie review season. Just kind of review all the movies, not all, all the summer movies, every single one, one by one. No, um, <laughs> just kind of talk about how we thought that this summer of movies went, and then we're gonna be on episode sixty. Jess, we're gonna have to do something special for that one. 
six zero. It's kind of weird though, because I feel like it's like because it's bi-weekly, like it's only sixty. But you've been going at this for a really long time, so it's weird <laughs> that we're not like even that close to a hundred yet. <laughs> well, we'll have to start cranking them out. Uh, yeah. Like. Well, maybe, maybe guys, maybe someday we'll, we'll start getting in a rhythm where we can do, um, for sure bi-weekly, but maybe closer to weekly even depending on our schedules, but, uh, fingers crossed we can get that going, but, uh, yeah, Jess, uh, so since you've been gone, not the song, but, um, what have you, what have you been watching? Um, sidebar, I really like that song. (laughs) I weirdly really like Kelly Clarkson. Don't judge me. Um, I wasn't so I'm glad you the song, that. but I just like when you say like a title of a song or something, or like a title of a movie. I always just want to be like title of the song, title of the movie. Since you've been gone, I can't <laughs> <win>. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so for TV, um, the things I've been watching is Castle Rock on Hulu. Um, If you like Twin Peaks or Black Mirror or funky horror-esque, I would highly recommend it. Um, It is loosely based on, like, Stephen King's writings. It's not a particular piece of his writing. It's just, like, a basically conglomeration of everything he's ever written and taking pieces from it and, like, shaping this world that the show's in. it's really interesting and shouted on a lot of mystery. Um, there's like some fantastical elements to it as well. So Castle Rock, if you like Stephen King, I highly suggest it. Um, I've also been watching Orphan Black as of recent. Um, it's really weird because I was really into it like a few years ago, maybe like four-ish years ago. I like binge watched the first two seasons and then I th- I don't know why I just like totally dropped off of it. Um, I don't I have no idea why. And then all of a sudden I realized I wanted to get back into it. So I've been rewatching the first two seasons and like getting to the newer episodes. But it's really fucking amazing. Have you ever watched Orphan Black, Brandon? I have seen a good um, uh, like a, a decent number of episodes from like season one. Um, uh, I was watching when, when someone else was kind of watching it and I didn't get to really watch episode by episode, but it has been like on my list of wanting to like sit down and actually go and watch episode by episode. Cause like that performance from, uh, how do you say the lead actress's name? Like Tatiana? Tatiana Miss Laney. Yeah. Like her playing all these characters. Like, I don't know why she just doesn't win like awards like every year. <laughs> I know, and it took, like, I don't even think she got any nominations until, like, a few seasons. I think she was nominated this year, but I think this was only, like, her second nomination, which is insane because, like you said, she's playing at least, like, five or six different characters, and they're all very different, all very fleshed out. Um, Everything about them is so unique to their mannerisms, to the way they talk, to their accents, like, and she's nailing it. Like, she becomes these different characters. You fully believe it. Um, So that, for that reason alone, it's incredible to watch. Um, But story-wise, it's really intriguing. It's um, very grounded in sci-fi, but makes it sort of feel like real stakes are involved. Um, so it's incredible, uh, Orphan Black, it's on Amazon Prime, um, I would, it's a show that I would say, like, anyone should watch, because it's really well done, um, 
And then finally, in TV, I have been watching the latest season of American Horror Story, American Horror Story Apocalypse. Um, I don't watch a lot of shows week to week, but, like, American Horror Story is one that I definitely do, just because I like horror, and I feel like there's not much horror content on TV, and, like, that's all I can get. Um, but so far, the season has been interesting. Um, like I said, the theme is Apocalypse. Uh, so the first episode's very intense. The first episode is the end of the world, and kind of gets you thinking, like, holy shit, what would I do in this crazy scenario? Um, the, the the whole thing with this season is that it's supposed to be a crossover between the first season, which is Murder House, and the third season, which is Coven. Um, and there's been, like, little elements of those seasons introduced. We're only into, like, the first couple episodes, so we'll see where it goes, but so far it's really intense. I really like it. Um, and then for movies, speaking of horror, I saw The Nun. Um, that was a time. <laughs> it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. Um, it. I heard going into it, it's pretty much just like two hours of jump scares, and it really is just like two hours of jump scares. <laughs> um in terms of, like, a story, it's, like, kind of meh, especially when you compare it to other horror movies that have come out this year, like A Quiet Place or Hereditary, where, like, the stories are what was driving it and it was incredible. There's not... It's just fun jump scares, but they're good jump scares, so it's fine. Um, and then I've been watching some Netflix original movies. I saw uh, Sierra Burgess is a Loser and the, like smash hit to all the boys I've loved before. Um, I'm not much of like a rom-com kind of gal, but I did really enjoy these. They're just fun and cute and gives you like the feeling of butterflies. I did cry during To All the Boys I Loved Before. Um, so if you are into rom-coms, definitely watch them. They're sweet and kind of just make you feel good. So yeah, that's what I've been watching. It's very odd. It goes from like uh, weird sci-fi horror darkness to, like, high school, <laughs> high school comedies. So, <laughs> very inconsistent. <laughs> yes, that is quite a wide variety, Jess, <laughs> to say the least. Um, yeah, I've been watching, um, not a ton of TV. Um, the TV I did watch, uh, my friend sort of got me addicted to this show. It can be found on Hulu, but, uh, I actually don't have a Hulu. Um, so I watch it on Daily Motion. It's this Canadian comedy called Letterkenny. And I think there's only a couple seasons or a few seasons, but uh, it was one of these shows that, like, it was a YouTube show that all of a sudden got picked up to be, like, a real TV show. It's, like, about this this hick town in Canada where, like, these characters, they're all just kind of, like, they're all very just like dry but like rapid fire like jokes and like but it's deadpan and um it's hard to like explain without like just seeing it but like it 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 is just so crazy like when i first watched it i was like what what is this and then like you start getting into it and like they just have like callbacks to previous jokes and just the deliveries of all the actors it's so weird and it's just a goofy little comedy that um uh, my friend Mary Nora definitely got me addicted to. As far as movies goes, I've been watching a little bit more movies with my uh, DVD.com subscription, but also 
um, going out to a couple uh, things in the theaters. The last movie I saw, and I'll save a lot of my discussion for our summer movie episode, I saw Mission Impossible Fallout and did not expect to like it as much as I did. I also have been trying to watch with my DVD.com subscription some classic movies. Um, I've kind of gotten addicted to the the podcast Unspooled, where they talk about like the AFI's 100 Greatest Movies list. Um, so I've watched some movies like Ben-Hur, that like four-hour movie. <laughs> I watched uh, The French Connection, which uh, it kind of shaped for what like a lot of cop movies are now, where like Gene Hackman got Best Actor and it got Best Picture, first R-rated movie to get Best Picture since they created the R-rating things like that so um watched a couple of those classics and then (laughs) from the day that we were recording this last night i watched face off oh i'm so happy for you congratulations (laughs) for the first time for those who haven't heard of face off it is a ridiculous john woo movie from the 1997 that stars john travolta and nicholas cage with the absurd premise of that John Travolta is an FBI agent, Nicolas Cage is like a terrorist assassin, whatever, and John Travolta has to switch faces with Nick Cage, and then Nick Cage's criminal character switch faces with John Travolta um, behind his back, (laughs) and ridiculous action scenes ensue and like awful dialogue and just the whole like trying to explain this premise to other characters on like why they were doing this whole switching of faces thing and seeing John Travolta try to act like Nick Cage and then seeing Nick Cage trying to act like John Travolta it's just (laughs) my, my friend Jerry and I kept just thinking like they had to someone had to sit in a pitch meeting with like investors and like producers and like explain this script <laughs> and like they're just like yeah yeah here's millions of dollars to do that <laughs> yep sounds like a great idea go make your movie like also one thing that always kind of got me was like they switch faces okay whatever but they never really draw attention to that fact that their body types are different they, they just, have like, a brief scene where they try to somewhat explain that. Like, they'll, dude, we'll they, fix I it with. That. But it's like so. They're just kind of like, it doesn't fucking matter. Like, <laughs> just, just don't even worry about it. Just, they're like, you, you you're here on. for this movie. We don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> but in case anyone was curious, back in 97, it had a budget of 80 million. Oh my god. Which I always have to do this because I'm a nerd. I'm going to type that into the inflation calculator <laughs> just because i want to know like a little under 130 million 130 million <laughs> like 125 130 million roughly to make fucking face off oh my god <laughs> that's crazy i wondered like how much money it it made back because that movie is so ridiculous but it's also a cult classic so people like watch it so like did it make its money back? Like, yeah. Let me. <laughs> was it a smash hit of the year? Like, was it, it made... like the ghost, like the Mission Impossible of Ooh, its time? It made two forty-five. So it made oh, three hundred eighty some million dollars back. Oh my god! <laughs> Face off! What a classic! What a classic! <laughs> it is on Netflix. 
and it's one of those movies that definitely like Jess and I have talked about in the past that like it's so like bad like it's kind of great like it's I mean like John Woo is just such an interesting director like the the action scenes where they're jumping all over the place and shooting and these two campy performances of like these two guys from the 90s who like Nicolas Cage and John Travolta like were (laughs) some of the biggest names at the time and then the fact that they did this script yeah it's it's certainly something to see there's definitely some rough parts it's it's (laughs) but it's yeah just i didn't know it was on netflix i i had no idea it was on netflix this is amazing news i will probably (laughs) be watching it pretty soon because it's a classic it is iconic (laughs) iconic oh boy (laughs) now christopher nolan who uh, over his career um as we're recording has done about 10 films there's one film following that he did kind of before he got famous that we're not going to talk about because it's a little hard to get a hold of and yeah it's 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 not worth talking about. We're going to talk about um once he got famous like with Memento and uh yeah, we're going to break down our rankings of the of the movies here. What is your before we get going just general um thoughts on Christopher Nolan as a director? So- so I really appreciate his work, and I think visually he is a stunning, talented director. Um, I will say I felt like I held him in higher regard before researching this episode, which is odd because um, I've seen, except for following, which we said we we're not going to talk about, I ha- I didn't get a chance to find that or see it. But um, with the exception of that, I had seen all of his movies except for Dunkirk, which I finally did for researching this episode. Um, but a lot of his movies I hadn't seen since they first came out, so I rewatched them these last few months so I could like fully be ready to talk about them for this. And in rewatching them, I realized like I didn't like them as much as I thought I did, which is hmm. interesting. Or interesting. some of them I felt like didn't hold up well over time, um, which we'll get into, but I might sound like a little negative in some of these rankings and I might upset some people who like really love Nolan. But for me, it was really odd because I was, I always held him very highly and then rewatching it, his, his filmography, I realized that he's an incredible director, but like, he's not as immaculate as I thought he was. Um, so that's, I don't know. I was kind of disappointed for that in that, but um, sure. I like a lot of his his pieces in his film. I do, and I appreciate him for what he's done. And I think re- what's really interesting is that stylistically, he's very consistent um, with like his visuals or, or whatever. But story wise, he's very diverse, and he's he sort of does different genres so like in this filmography we have like superhero we have suspense we have drama we have sci-fi you know so that's interesting too that he like we have like a war movie next to sci-fi which is really cool so he definitely like expands his talent and he doesn't just like stick to one thing so that's really cool um so yeah let's get let's get into it yeah i it's funny you say that because, yeah, I think when I first started kind of... Nolan was one of the first like few directors that when I started kind of really getting into film when I was getting older was I had noticed that obviously like I 
liked his Batman movies, and then I started kind of watching his other movies and realizing that, wow, I, well, I like pretty much all of his movies. And like you said, like then as time went on, I'm like, eh, he does have flaws, and there are problems. Like They're not perfect movies, and I understand why he's like considered one of like the best directors alive. I think it's because like he gets incredible actors. He usually has like some great stories, great visuals, and just overall is like consistent for the most part. I appreciate him. He's not my favorite. I would say he's probably in like my top five or top ten favorite directors. He's up there, but um, like we'll see as he keeps going um, and how that changes. But yeah, let's go ahead and just jump into our rankings. So. Um, like I said, we're going to be ranking nine movies and Jess, what is your number nine Christopher Nolan made movie? My number nine is Dark Knight Rises. I had no (laughs) problem putting it at the very bottom. I knew immediately it was my least favorite movie of his. Um, I think it is arguably like the sloppiest in the trilogy and possibly his filmography. Um, it's incredibly anticlimactic overall. As a movie in general, the one way I would describe it is anticlimactic. All of it. Um, when the trailer first came out and we saw Bane, it looked like this is it. This is like beyond the Joker. This is like next level villain. And then it it wasn't when the movie came out. Um, all of it was sort of like working towards this like big thing, like this this massive story that was just that fell f- very flat i think in my opinion um i mean spoiler i guess but it's been years if you haven't seen it that's on you bane's death is incredibly laughable incredibly anticlimactic i'm sorry like catwoman fucking runs him over with a motorcycle just casually and is like okay let's move on and they do and it's like this is so stupid um Catwoman was very flat, too. She wasn't bad. She wasn't good. She was just kind of there. Um, But what really gets me and why I think, like I said, it's the sloppiest of the whole trilogy is that the first two were, like, obviously superhero movies, obviously not real, but they were very much grounded in reality where you felt like if, if there were ever to be a superhero in the real world, this is what it would feel like. Whereas the third isn't. It's not grounded in reality, and that makes it feel very lazy with that inconsistency like so for instance uh bruce wayne is in i don't even know where the fuck he is he's like in a hole in a different continent whatever bane like puts him in a i don't whatever a hole locker thing and he gets out and he walks up to like gotham city like no big deal he just like walks in but gotham city has been fucking quarantined how did you get in here bro like what did you do and like there's just no explanation for how i mean that's a big plot hole for me and i get the argument would be like well it's a superhero movie we don't need to give all the answers for everything and it's like no you don't but like the first two movies did they answered everything on how these guys were able to do the things they were doing whereas like when there's no uh, planes, trains, automobiles, none of it going in and out of Gotham. How the fuck did Bruce Wayne get back in? That was, like, so aggravating for me. So for me, like, it just felt sloppy. It felt very lazy. And like I said, like, anticlimactic. For me, personally, I love The Dark Knight and Batman Begins. I think they're such strong, solid movies. Not just superhero movies, just movies. Um, and Dark Knight Rises 
just did not meet that at all. And it was not a strong ending. And so for me, I do think it is his worst movie. So number nine, Dark Knight Rises. I had no doubt that that's where you were going to put it. We had <laughs> discussions about Dark Dark Knight Rises before. I'll save my thoughts for where I put it because it's actually not my number nine. And I think my number nine is going to be a little controversial for some people. I don't know about you, but my number nine is actually... And, and by the way, guys, this is not just based on like what we think are best or this. Like These are favorites and like where we like to have them. Um, so my number nine is Memento. Wow. That's shocking. Yes. It's... What? Okay. <laughs> Uh, so like, I'll admit I've only seen this movie once. I have wanted to revisit it. I think the thing was this film was slightly overhyped for me before I saw it, but also, and like some people, I think there are some people out there that believe me. Some I think are kind of blinded by it, but for me, I feel like this movie is all about the gimmick, uh, like the, the gimmick of like with his memory loss that uh like you know they have like part of the story that's in color part of the story that's in black and white it's like not chronological and it's this and it's all over the place and like i i get it i get what he was going for i admire the ambition to do something like this i thought it was original and i a liked guy pierce i i think he's an actor who kind of is a bit underrated he has had some questionable choices of films he's in but i thought for me it was perfectly fine it just but for me like uh, i like once you remove the gimmick you've seen it once i personally it's like yeah great it's fine it's just not to me there are just some elements or some things whether it was emotions or scenes or performances or whatever from other films that i just liked better now, I may watch this film again someday and change my mind a little, but for me, Memento, I saw it, and I just was not dying to see it again. I, like, I don't own it. I think this is one of his one of his only films I don't own on DVD. I just... I think a lot of people get caught up, and I'm not accusing you of this, Jess, but like, I think a lot of people get caught up on like the the way the film was made and not actually look at the story. Because I don't think that the story is actually that interesting. And I think some of the, like, the twists or whatever weren't that... Not that they weren't shocking to me, but they just didn't didn't blow me away. It was like, okay, cool. So it just felt very... That was fine. And I just have found some things in some of his other films that I've liked so much better. And um, as we get there, I will explain those. But that's all I have to say about Memento. And Jess, what is your number eight? Wow. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I just like, I won't harp on it, but I just like think it's so fascinating because I think there's like some really like objectively worse movies of his than Memento. So that's, huh. Okay. But I'll talk about it when I get to it on my ranking. Um, My number eight might be a little bit controversial because a lot of people like really think this movie's amazing and I used to but when I rewatched it I realized it's actually not that great um my number eight movie is The Prestige uh, 
Hmm. It's, <laughs> See, this is more shocking for me. Really? Because it's really not that great. Um, like, rewatching it, it... Okay, so when it first came out, I thought it was really fascinating, and that twist at the end was so cool, so, like, tricky, I didn't see it. But, like, rewatching it, it's like you were saying with Memento, it's all about the gimmick, and it's like... Meh. Like, the first time you see it and you don't see the twist coming, cool. Like you know, wow, they got me. But the second time you see it, it's like, it's just basic. Like, it's just, I don't know. Like, I don't think that twist, like, holds up. I don't think it's, like, that groundbreaking. This, like, rewatching it, it just was like, eh, okay, yeah, that's chill. It was actually really weird. It's actually, like, rewatching it, it made me feel uncomfortable. And I don't think it holds up well over time that these, like, Spoiler, if you haven't seen it, like, you really shouldn't even be listening to this episode. <laughs> like, the twist is basically Christian Bale's character was twins. It was two guys, and they they were, like, living a magic act while being magicians. And to me, watching that in 2018 is very creepy because they're va- basically, like, also, like, rapey Eskimo brothers, which is, like disgusting like it's a disgusting twist too to think that like these guys had like wives and girlfriends and like children who none of them know that they were a thing that's a really creepy element to it um it just hasn't aged well and I think the novelty of the plot twist really has worn off and it eh. also like these these main characters to me are not likable um, they're alcoholic, whiny, straight guys. Like, the whole time, they're just <laughs> pissy. And because they're like, magic could be better, or whatever. And, like, I got really bored with watching them because I just felt like I couldn't root for them or like either one of them. And that goes for Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman's character. I didn't find them to be particularly likable the second time around. And I, I just didn't care about the whole magic act so, like like I it just felt like very gimmicky and when you take that gimmick away like the story's not that good it's not good and you're basically just watching magicians who are pissy for two hours <laughs> it was so like I said I thought I had really liked it when it first came out which was like um let's see 2006 so 12 years ago I thought I really liked it when I first saw it. It was kind of felt unique and special and different, but rewatching it, it's I don't think it's like stood the test of time like some of his other movies. So for me, I actually was shocked how like little I enjoyed it. Um and I thought it was I don't know. Not <laughs> as good, not as good as I had thought it was. So my number 8 okay. is Prestige. So. I know there's so many, like, straight white guys who are listening to this and who are really mad about it, but... <laughs> Why does it have to be straight white guys that are upset? Because that's, like, the crater... That's the what the movie's catered towards. It, like, as I rewatched it, it was like, wow, it is all about being a straight, whiny white man. Like, it really is. And, like, it's like, yeah, I beat my wife, but she sucks, and I do magic. Like, it's just like, yeah, I cheat on my wife, but I'm a magician. And it was just like, oh, my God. Like, yeah, and I just feel like a lot of uh, straight white guys are like, no, but you don't understand. It's magical. And it's, I don't, I don't. it's I'm not the audience for it anymore. I'm really not. 
Okay. My number eight is a film you brought up before is The Dark Knight Rises. And yes, I do have it higher than Memento. And um, I know there are some people out there that really love to hate on Dark Knight Rises, Jess included. No. It's, it's really bad. <laughs> okay. I know that there are flaws. It's kind of like, okay, it's funny how like Dark Knight Rises, I feel like when it first came out, some people were like fine with it like it wasn't great but it wasn't like bad and like over the years like like even me included have like noticed worse and worse things about about it but like i feel like sometimes when people are hating on it i I almost feel like how we felt when we were like defending star wars the last jedi i was just like okay like you know like yes there are some bad things but like to me i guess like my my thing was trying to notice the the good things in it and like sure the Jose- joseph gordon levitt's character was like i i think he could just be completely like omitted from the film um and yes the ending does have some very anticlimactic cliche stupid moments i think that um even though it's a really long movie there are parts that are rushed surprisingly i think christopher nolan had an issue of well I, here's why I think this film didn't work. I think it didn't work because it had to follow the Dark Knight. And I think there was a good reason why, for a little while, he didn't want to make a third movie. Because Dark Knight was so beloved. So beloved. Not just for the movie itself, but of course the legacy of, of uh, Heath Ledger's Joker. So, no matter what he was going to do, it was not going to top that. Like, unless he was able to have Heath Ledger as the Joker in the movie again like they're just which I hear there were some plans for that to be a thing uh, a potential thing if Heath had lived so I think he was given the like an impossible task and um, he tried to just go bigger and like he had like a huge cast like he added Anne Hathaway and Tom Hardy and Joseph Gordon-Levitt and all these actors all these characters but I think he like fell under his own weight of just trying to go bigger is better and but I think there are some moments I do like I do I personally liked Anne Hathaway's Catwoman character maybe it's because I you know I've always kind of enjoyed their dynamic, her and Batman's and comics. And like, even though people loved making fun of Bane's voice, like I liked that they made Bane like a physically imposing, um, because the first two films, there were Scarecrow and Joker. Like they weren't physically imposing. They were just like smarter or like sneaky or whatever. This was like, no, he's just going to straight up like punch your face in. (laughs) So I thought, that was something different i did like how his character was also intelligent i people make fun of me but michael kane's performances and some of these scenes i think get to me you know where he's just like crying and i don't know i it i don't want to go too deep into it i do think that there are some good elements in it but i do think that the good elements are just outweighed or the like the bad of it outweighs like the good and I don't know I just think it's like objectively not a good movie so I hate it I fucking hate this movie (laughs) okay (laughs) let's regroup here okay like I said I I conceded the fact that it is not a, a a great or a good movie I think it's I think it's fine 
I think if if you were to watch some parts of it, I think it's I think it's fine and uh, like it's not like it's unwatchably bad or anything like that. But um, let's move on to our number sevens. Jess, what is your number seven of Christopher Nolan movies? My number seven is Insomnia, um, which again was a movie I really liked, and then I rewatched it because I rewatch movies I like, and. <laughs> It wasn't bad. Like my rewatching it was wasn't like a bad experience, I wouldn't say, but I realized it is one of the more like in my opinion basic Nolan films. Um just because if you compare it to some of his other movies, it's just like not as visually stunning. Um and it just kind of feels like the one of the least unique in terms of story. Um but I I do like certain elements of it. I do like that uh, the the environment that was created is really interesting for a murder mystery to like be up in Alaska where it's constantly sunny and you can't like sleep, and what that does to your psyche was really interesting. Plus, Robin Williams' performance is amazing, and I think like that alone is makes it worth totally watching. Um, but yeah, I do feel like it's up there in terms of like movies that are held in high regard, but like it does sort of feel like one of his more forgettable ones. Um, again, and I think that just is because like it's the least unique in terms of story and it's the least visually stunning as well. Um, and it doesn't have all that deep of a message. Unlike some of his other movies, like some of his movies really try to like pack in like deep messages with them. And this one I, I don't really feel like it had that. Um, but I do like a good murder mystery. I do. So I think that's why it was like a little bit above like The Prestige and Dark Knight, just because it did have those elements. Um, yeah, so mine is Insomnia. And I it's lower on my list, but I don't like dislike it. I just think that some of his other movies were a little bit more groundbreaking or unique and stood out more than this does. I understand, and I will definitely talk about that soon. But uh, my number seven is uh, Interstellar. This is a movie that I was so excited to see because, like, after Dark Knight Rises and all that controversy, like, he was done with Batman movies, and, like, now he was just going to go back to, like, what he had been doing before. Like, he had this little pattern of, like, Batman movie his own movie, Batman movie, his own movie, Batman movie. And like, now it's like, okay, now he's going to go into doing his own movies. He's like leaving the Batman stuff behind. He is, um, now given, uh, pretty much probably a blank check for like budgets. Like he just like, he's so known for like, he made so much money on those dark Knight movies that like the studios and inception that the studios are probably like, yeah, here, whatever you want to make. So he kind of tried to do like this this space movie that I enjoyed the idea of it. I liked like but there's a lot of things that rewatching that movie after theaters kind of really hit me the wrong way. And like now that I'm thinking of it, uh uh mutual acquaintance a mutual acquaintance of ours, Heath Rumble and I did an episode of Film Tweakers on Interstellar where we really go in depth on that if you want to check that out on this feed as well but it i think it it's got some good stuff it's got a like what nolan has been doing lately with these movies like a huge cast 
has Matthew McConaughey, Anne Hathaway, Michael Caine, uh, Jessica Chastain, just so many people in it, even for like tiny roles, even just like actors that you've seen like Casey Affleck or uh, Topher Grace or John Lithgow, like all these actors, even for small roles, it's ridiculous. But for me, where this movie really, really had negative stuff for me was like the last 20, 30 minutes of it. I think it went in this interesting direction where they're trying to go on this mission and sometimes where they like they land on the one planet and it jumps forward like they were only there for like 30 minutes or something but that was like 20 some years on earth or whatever you know like it had some interesting stuff and some emotional moments but to me the ending was such like weird wishy-washy like Nolan wanted to do this trippy sequence, almost probably like something out of 2001 Space Odyssey, where Matthew McConaughey's like going through like this like wormhole thing. And it just, to me, got very sloppy where he's just like, I'm going to explain everything on what's this weird ass thing that's happening and yada, yada, yada. And the whole movie, he just wants to get back to his daughter, not to both of his children, but to specifically Murph, his daughter. He would always say like, oh, Murph. And I'm just like, no wonder his son grew up to be Casey Affleck to be an asshole. Because, <laughs> like his son was the one writing him all these messages and his daughter was being a little, you know, whiny. And all I could think about is Murph. Like they just should have not had the Casey Affleck character. Like it should have just been Murph uh, because he was so like dead set on getting back to Murph specifically. Um, <laughs> which that was a weird thing for me, but yeah, I think this movie was doing some great things visually and story wise, but it just kind of fell at the wayside for me. The one moment I will say that fucking made me ball my eyes out is the scene where Matthew McConaughey is watching the messages that he's missed over the last like 20, 30 years when he was on that planet and he sees his son growing up from being a kid in high school. I met a girl to like, he's married to this is your granddaughter or grandson or whoever. Um, and then like, yeah, we had to bury grandpa yesterday and he's out back and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, and you just see Matthew McGahanahay sobbing, like openly sobbing to like this close up. Thought that that was incredible acting and totally made me ball just like imagining that incredibly unimagined like just that situation is so could be so emotional i can yeah can't even fathom it but yeah i think that movie had a lot of great elements but also that ending for me endings if the if the ending is bad i just it's hard for me to get over it and i thought it was very sloppy and the whole movie's like two and a half so hour movie of him trying to get back to murph spoilers and she's like 90 some years old and he says, talks to her for like five minutes, like, all right, I'm going to go save Anne Hathaway on this planet. It's like, wait, what? That's it? Why wouldn't you want to be with her every moment until she fucking dies? But even Murph is like, all right, go get her. Let me be with my family. What? <laughs> Why did we go on this long journey for that tiny, tiny little moment together? But Interstellar, um, those are my thoughts. That's my number seven. Jess, let's move on. What is your number six? Well, I actually fully agree with everything you just said about Interstellar, and my number six is Interstellar. 
Oh, and the pretty only, close. Only, only, I had it at number seven. I did, but the only reason I put it above Insomnia, the one reason alone, was that Interstellar is just visually incredible. At, compared to Insomnia, that's the only reason I put it up there was the visuals and. <laughs> um, I totally agree with everything you just said. I think the first two thirds are amazing, really well done, but the last third is so bad that it just kind of like wipes everything. Like it doesn't even matter what came before because it's just so it's just that bad. Um, I love at the beginning the the desolate earth. I thought that was so interesting. I thought that was like yeah. built. There's such a good setting that was built, and to see like where Earth now is was really fascinating. And I was really interested at the beginning of his, like, space journey. And not only his journey, but, like, also discovering that, like, NASA is pretty much, like, on its last leg. And they, they're they not even supported by, like, most of uh, humanity anymore. And NASA's, like, looked at as, like, a wasteful thing. Um, because there's more things we have to spend our time and money on. So that was, like, really interesting, too, to see, like, where Earth went and along with that where science went. Um, so the beginning was, like, setting the ground for such an amazing thing, and it just, like, faltered at the end. Like, um, I think it's, like, really visually stunning, but in terms of story, it's rather just, like, eh. Um, I agree with you that that moment where he gets back onto the space station and he realizes, like, 30 years of his life have went by... Um, whereas he was on this planet for, like, what, like, 20 minutes, and then he gets back up, and, like, Earth has passed 30 years. That's insane. That is, like, an insane plot device and, like, crazy for a character to go through, and I think it's, like, probably, like, one of the best parts of the whole movie. Um, but after that, I think it just kind of goes downhill. Um, shortly after that, they, like, show up at a planet where, like, Matt Damon is, and once Matt Damon shows up, it is just downhill from there like yeah. straight up like I almost forgot to even mention that <laughs> I know like I kind of forgot because he was like a little like cameo like no one knew who was in it which could have been cool because I like when like marketing doesn't give away everything so ideally it would have been really awesome to have like a really big name actor just like a surprise in this movie but it kind of fell flat his character I think kind of sat he like sabotages the whole situation and leads um, Matthew McConaughey's character to go into the wormhole, and once he, once he goes into the wormhole, like you're right, I think they were going for like a 2001 Space Odyssey sort of like unique moment, but it ended up just being like Matthew McConaughey like floating around a PC screensaver, like <laughs> that's what it felt like. It was not that visually incredible. <laughs> And after that, is that so accurate, right? It's not like anything like it's like a fucking wormhole. Like they could have really gone there with it, but they didn't. It was like bars, and he was like, you know, do you remember like the bars yes, screensaver yes. that would move? That's what he was in, and it was just <laughs> like, what the fuck? That part was so not great. And then, like you're right, it's very like expository, and like here's everything you need to know, and. Eh. And then he gets out of the wormhole. You're right. He makes it back to his daughter, which was like the entire fucking movie. He wants to get back to his daughter. And he gets back to her, and she's super old, and he's just like, cool, hey, glad to see you did a thing. All right, um, I'm going to go like, meet Anne Hathaway. And it's like, you've just 
you just kind of met Anne Hathaway. This is your fucking daughter. Like, what? Like, that part was so frustrating because he makes it back to his daughter. He's with her for five minutes and then dips. And it's like his whole... And then dips. <laughs> just straight up dips. And you're right. She's like, okay, bye. It was really good to see you. Like... <laughs> Good luck with everything. I'm, like, going to die any minute. But, like, it's cool. You don't need to see me out. Like, what the fuck? And, like, his, like, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, all of this, his whole whole lineage is in the room. Like, her kids, her grandkids. Why wouldn't you want to meet them and talk with them and, like, check in with your lineage and see how they're doing? Like, why wouldn't... Why wouldn't you want to talk to that? Like, what? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He didn't want to talk to any of the... The grandchildren, the great grandchildren, great great, you know, however, no. like, didn't didn't give a shit. He like literally just walks out of the room, didn't even say hi to them. Wouldn't that be? Wouldn't you find that so rude if like your great great grandfather, who you've heard of but never met, was just there and didn't even say hello to you? Like, right? Ah, oh, so rude. Uh, I, and that's what's so funny about and like we're talking about like patterns of Nolan movies. Like, sometimes the emotion stuff, like, unless he's doing something heavy, heavy on the emotions, there's other times where he, like, disregards moments. Like, like, Dark Knight Rises, like, Interstellar, and, like, maybe some other ones as we get talking about it. But, like, his movies are usually very long. Interstellar is a long movie. Like, is it two and a half hours? Like, it's at least two. Like, it's not that long, like, to where it's, like, overbearing or anything, but it's just the fact that, like, he has these long movies, but then he skips over little moments like that and then spends long periods of times on other moments that, like, maybe we didn't need to spend that much time on. But, like, yeah, great-great-grandchildren, you know, grandchildren doesn't give a shit, like, no hi, no hugs, no... Like, even if it was just a little, like... Hans Zimmer's score and he's just like hugging and saying hi like no dialogue just to show that like that moment did happen but according to us it looked like he just walked in hi how are you Murph you know godspeed on your you know your final moments I'm dipping <laughs> yeah like he, like she was straight up dying he couldn't just like hang around and just like see her off and be like okay I love you like I'm here for you at the end bye no he just straight up was like okay well I'm kind of like over this and like I got more important things to do so like bye and it just was like I don't why were we building up to this reunion the entire movie only for it to be so unsatisfying and like so short and weird I, uh, and I did feel like you're right. Like there were some things that were focused on for much longer. Like the whole Matt Damon plotline felt like a lot longer than it needed to be. I did feel like maybe 30 minutes of that movie could have been like completely taken out and like nothing would have really changed. Um, yeah, it's just, it was real. It was a real disappointment because like you said, this was like his big thing after, um, Batman and it just felt like he's doing space like that's really dope and he's known for his visuals this could be like really incredible and the cast was amazing like we had just like come from like the McConaissance so like we knew like Matthew McConaughey was like good at acting (laughs) and Jessica Chastain I love her I love like I'm all about her saving humanity which she does like in this movie and that's so cool but like Like, it just really fell short at the end, and that alone, like, the last, like you said, 20 to 30 minutes were just so bad that, like, none of the other pros of the movie could make up for it, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, it's pretty funny that our 6 and 7 are the same movie, just flip-flopped, because, yeah, I was torn between Interstellar or Insomnia, but, like, especially talking about it, 
Uh, that's kind of why I had Interstellar at my number seven and put Insomnia at my number six, because uh, even though I totally agree, it is compared to the rest of his filmography, very basic movie. But I guess for me, the reason why it's above Interstellar is because, like, to me, there's just like a lot less things wrong with Insomnia compared to Interstellar, and also just like Insomnia. I love Robin Williams' performance. And, like, when I rewatched it for this podcast, like, I knew I would love it, but then, like, I noticed that, like, his character doesn't appear until, like, halfway through the movie. And so, like, he only has half the movie to put on this amazing performance. I bet, like, if you really counted his scenes, it's not many. And, like, he's just that great in that role, even though he's known for being one of the like the greatest comedy legends ever yet he plays this creepy murdering you know just almost like a sociopath in a way and like a guy that has all these excuses for spoiler like why he killed like the main girl like in this and oh i didn't mean to and you know but like for me even though it is kind of a basic murder mystery I I liked how there's a lot of times it kind of wasn't about the murder. Like, there were things like Al Pacino's character was dealing with some internal affairs and stuff from his previous stuff before getting to Alaska. He accidentally shoots his partner. Um, and then, like, Hilary Swank's character, like, the rookie, is, like, investigating him on that. And then the great reveal where, like, Robin Williams' killer character sees... Al Pacino do this and he's like well I'm just gonna tell them that you killed your partner and so like they start developing this weird kind of relationship of how they're gonna get themselves out of this situation where like he knows that Robin Williams is the killer and Robin Williams knows that Al Pacino killed his partner and like they're like blackmailing each other and trying to like one-up each other yeah like there's not a lot wrong with this movie but this is without a doubt his most forgettable in the sense that like people literally forget that he did it people think it's just like yeah he did memento and the batman movies and prestige and inception and like they start listing all his movies and people forget that he did insomnia but it was because you know he did memento i don't know if that did that well financially and then i I think he kind of did oh uh i think he kind of did insomnia for the studio in a way and then he was able to like do Batman Begins, and then like that really like kickstarted his career um, to getting to do much bigger movies. But if you like murder mysteries, I think you're gonna like Insomnia. Or if you're someone that's like me, that's just a sucker for a good performance from one of their favorite actors like Rob Williams, you'll love it too. But uh, yeah, uh, Insomnia was my number six. So we're getting into our top five now, Jess. What is your number five Christopher Nolan movie? So my number five is Inception, and like The Prestige, it was a movie that I had held in a very high regard when I first saw it and when it first came out, and I think a lot of people did too, Um, but upon rewatching it for this episode, I liked it a lot less than I'd had originally. Um, I think it's obvious that, like, visually, it's an incredible movie. Um, There's some really unique shots and different ways of using the camera that were really groundbreaking for its time and really incredible to look at. But I just 
don't think it aged that well. Um, once you get past the visuals, you realize that none of the story actually makes any sense at all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> at all. At all, at all, at all. I, I just... I, I, it just felt a little like some of the story was just like didn't make any sense and when they tried to make it make sense they were just like yeah you know you know how it, it, it yeah um so i just didn't to me it, it was really kind of hard to watch this time around and like i said i didn't love it like i had um one thing that i did really like in it was joseph gordon levitt and it made me realize like i really like him why isn't he in more things like he is fun and non-problematic like why is it non-problematic right like you never hear about him being like creepy or mean like he's he should be in more things like he's great like let's get rid of james franco and just put in jgl in more things because <laughs> uh, he's great and he's like nice and like why not um yeah i was just like i just don't think it holds up anymore unfortunately and interesting i think like i said like once you get really past the visuals a lot of the story is just meh um i think the most interesting and intriguing part of it was leonardo dicaprio's relationship to his wife slash deceased wife um who was played by marion cotier and like is it's an interesting story because she is a figure in his dreams essentially because he's haunted by her and it's because she ended up uh, killing herself because she couldn't decipher dream world from reality and I thought that was like a very interesting piece but other than that in terms of story I didn't think it was as incredible as I once did and I think visually it's definitely amazing there's no arguing that and I think some of the sequences are really cool and really well done, especially um, JGL's like fight sequence. It, I thought that was really cool. Or how like when their their bodies are physically moving, the dream world is shifting with them. And I thought that was really interesting. So I think like in terms of camera and choreography and visuals, it's amazing. But in terms of the story, eh, it's just very convoluted in a way that. I, I don't think it's convoluted because it's, like, prestige movie where, like, oh, you're not smart enough to get it. I think it's just very convoluted. And have you ever seen the South Park episode that, like, makes fun of Inception? No, but I've heard about it. I would honestly much rather just, like, rewatch that than this movie ever again because it's accurate to, like, how, like, silly the movie is when you like if you take away all the visual aspects of it if you take away all those cool choreography scenes all those cool sequences if you take that away and you just boil it down to the story alone it is really bloated and convoluted in a way that's just like well you don't get it that's on you you're stupid dreams and yeah so my number five is inception i definitely thought it would have been higher but rewatching it i realized like nah Interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like uh, this is your number one. I have no, a feeling. No, okay, okay. No. But uh, I'm just surprised that the, all the negatives about it. But um, me too, though. Honestly, me too. Because, like I said, like I thought it was amazing when it first came out, and then rewatching it, like I just didn't. I didn't feel the same way the second. Like, and it was. Yeah, I'm surprised. I thought it was so negative too. Actually, so. Okay. 
<laughs> well, my number five is Dunkirk. Dunkirk, I, uh, I'll admit I've, I did not get a chance to rewatch it. So the only time I saw it was I saw it, uh, in IMAX. Um, and yeah, it's, it's certainly, there are certain elements that are not my favorite. Like, I, I mean, I'm a huge fan of dialogue and character in this, and like this movie is very much not about that. Like it is very much like there's tons of this like I think I heard that this script was like less than 50 pages because it's just all descriptions and like of the scenes and this like that it's hardly ever like a bunch of people talking it's a lot of just like shit is going down and people looking at crazy things and like just the action and more just I so like I don't want to talk bad like that that's a bad thing that's just my personal preference so it was very close to putting Dunkirk below Insomnia which I'm, I'm sure some people would have been like why the fuck is Insomnia so high you know but um, like I do have to just give it up for Dunkirk for the fact that it did keep my attention even though there wasn't a lot of talking a lot of this movie probably could have just been a silent movie uh, like with Hans Zimmer's score um, but it I what I enjoyed about it was like the movie was not about like an offensive attack. This was just survival in war. Like you know, Saving Private Ryan or like other like great war movies like they're usually trying to uh capture something or get to something or whatever or like defend something even like they're defending it to the death. But like this wasn't even about that. This was just about trying to get the fuck out of the situation like they were stuck on this beach and obviously this is based on a real story um uh during world war ii so um like it was an original story in the sense that like you know it wasn't based off like a book or a play or a comic book or anything like that but it, it, it was i was surprised for such little dialogue for such little character development that there was uh that it was able to keep my attention so much with Hans Zimmer's score with the visuals with the action sequences and um because like what's funny is like the little character stuff they do have is kind of sloppy like there was the whole scene where like a kid wants to help on the boat and like Killian Murphy knocks him down the stairs and he hits his head and he dies (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'm just like, all right, that I get why that's sad, but it's also just like, that's it. That's okay. <laughs> and so I, I I think this was definitely like Christopher Nolan. Now that he's done with like the Batman movies, I think it's awesome how he's kind of branching into all these different genres. Like interstellar kind of was his sci-fi uh 2001 a space odyssey movie and then like dunkirk was his world war ii movie like a war movie and like now i'm really curious like what genre he's going to kind of tackle next um and obviously like inception is like a heist film and so i'm really curious where he's going to go after a movie like dunkirk because this was his latest movie i'm surprised it didn't get some more recognition uh at award shows because it was pretty a uh, pretty thrilling movie, but um, it's a reason why it's kind of right in the middle of the pack for me. Is like I would have appreciated maybe we follow certain characters more, more development, things like that. Um, but yeah, Jess, 
we're now in our top four. What is your number four? My number four is actually Dunkirk. Um, oh. Just a step above where you put it. Um, so this was the first time I had ever seen it was for this episode. Um, a lot of people had been comparing it to like Saving Private Ryan and some of like the most iconic war movies and this was like going to be the next one. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of war movies in general. Um, I do like Saving Private Ryan like as much as the next guy, but that's like about it. Um, so going into it, I already kind of had like that going for me. Um, I I did like it more than I thought. I think um, almost every Nolan movie, visually, it's incredible and stunning. Um, but story-wise, if, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> like I I didn't dislike the story, but I did feel like the story wasn't that concise, and because of that, I couldn't focus on characters enough, and I got almost distracted to care enough. Um, so, like, these characters are in very intense situations. Like, it is war, like you said, they're trying to get out and survive. But so much was going on that it was hard to just, like, be engaged with that. We were seeing so many different angles of war, which is interesting, because we were literally seeing war by land, by sea, by air. And that's really interesting. But, like, we, like I said, it wasn't concise enough for me to to care. And when we, it just, that was my issue with it. But... It was, like, straight-up war porn, though. Like, it is (laughs) gorgeous. Like, it is gorgeous war moments. Like, very intense. And so, like, it is literally war porn. Like, that's what it is. Um, (laughs) You heard it here first, (laughs) folks. Jessica Kwasniewski, review of Dunkirk. War porn. War porn. It really was (laughs) war porn. It was, it was, it was. Um... Yeah, I so I, I it just to me again like it was really hard for me to like get behind characters and like root for their survival because I was like watching this person and then I'd be watching this person and then I'd be watching this person and then we go to this person this person this person it was just like all over the place in a way that felt distracting to me. Yeah. I think cuz that was the the biggest issue with like you said is with following all these characters is they're all wearing relatively the same uniform and they're all white British, uh, dark hair usually, or dirty blonde, you know, like they're all like, they look, a lot of actors, they looked too similar. And maybe Mm -hmm. that was the point. Like, it's like, Oh, it's just a bunch of boys, you know, they were pulled into war or whatever. But also it's like, there were parts where like this character like betrayed someone or this did this. And this person was pretending to be this person or whatever. And I'm like, I don't, I can't follow who is who. <laughs> exactly. That was happening a lot for me when I watched it. And like I said, I did like the idea of different angles of war because usually with war movies, we stick with like one group and they're doing this thing and they're in this thing and they're on land the whole time. Whereas it was kind of cool to see like this intense moment from the angle of sea, from the angle of land, from the angle of air with Tom Hardy. But like, it was just too jumbled, and I would keep getting confused about like where certain characters were, what they were doing, or how they were interacting with each other, and it ended up getting like a little too convoluted for me. Um, so, but there, I thought there were some like really good visuals, and like I said, it was like war porn, so it was beautiful. Um, <laughs> and it was also for me, 
I don't know if, like, a lot of people had this issue, but I follow a lot of, like, current events in pop culture. And for me, I found Harry Styles to be so distracting in it because it was, like, this weird um, marketing ploy that, like, Harry Styles from One Direction is going to be in it. And that was, like, a weird selling point for a younger audience. And when you actually watch it, he adds, like, nothing. He's very dull. <laughs> so it was really it was really weird because, like, I knew... Like, the one thing I knew about Dunkirk was it was a war movie and that Harry Styles was in it. Like, <laughs> those were the things I knew because that's what people were talking about. Like, that's what the news was around this movie. It was, like, it's just Christopher Nolan movie and One Direction is in it. What the hell? Um, and that was, that was... It's just, like, a weird marketing ploy because it wasn't even like he was in it that much or that he was even like necessarily good in it and it just felt like distracting like like you said all these guys looked so similar that like when Harry Styles came on the screen he was the only one I knew because it was Harry Styles like everyone else just kind of it was so that was a that was weird having him in it and like it was a just a weird marketing play that's kind of how it felt like I was just recently telling one of my friends, like, oh, I finally saw Dunkirk, and the first question was literally, oh, how is Harry Styles in it? So it's, like, still, if you're not a Nolan fan, and if you're not, like, a massive, like, movie fan, like, if you're not paying attention to movies, like, the way Brandon and I are, like, Harry Styles in Dunkirk was a thing. Like, that was why people were talking about it. To, it was so it was weird. Like, people who don't typically, like, go to see those type of movies we're talking about how Harry Styles was in it. And, like, that was just really odd. I think he didn't need to be in it, like, at all. He didn't add anything. (laughs) It was just, like, a weird marketing ploy, I thought, that didn't, like, have any payoff. So that was, yeah, that was weird, having him, like, running around in it. I didn't like that too much. (laughs) Well, Jess, my number four is going to be... Batman Begins. Oh, I, was, I thought this would be higher for you. Yeah, no, I these my top four, or at least like three of the four, could change pretty like often. Uh, but like I I solidified it at this for now. Batman Begins. There's not a whole lot that I don't like about this movie. I did see this movie a lot later than others, and I I I think. Obviously, like we don't need to talk about the fact that like it changed the superhero genre. Like it, 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 it people, st- people started using dark and gritty like phrasing, like those two words, ever since this movie. Like that, it just it changed the game when Christopher Nolan made a Batman movie. He made it so much differently compared to the Tim Burton ones and uh, other ones that had come out at the time, even Spider Man or X Men or things like that. I think he definitely, he basically took the genre and was like, well, I'm going to treat it like so seriously that like, like this should possibly be nominated for Oscars, you know, like, which maybe not necessarily mean it like deserved Oscars, but it's so good. Like there, there's some great visuals. There's uh like, the, I think that this film has some of his best cinematography and like production design. I feel like even though like we're from Chicago and recognized when they shot things in Chicago, like for the most part, for some stuff, they did kind of make it feel like Gotham, like with a lot of the film being at night and like the bats and like all this stuff. I think they did a great job with that. Um, 
I I enjoyed the fact that they had all these incredible actors as far as like Christian Bale, Liam Neeson, Michael Caine, Gary Oldman, Morgan Freeman, like just an ensemble cast of great actors. And yeah, I think it's, there's not much else to say about it. Hans Zimmer's score or like the moment where like he's talking to Rachel and she's just like realizes that it's Bruce as Batman. Like it's not, it's uh, the famous Batman quote. It's not what I am underneath, but what I do that defines me. And then he just jumps out into the danger. Like it's like, it can be a little cheesy, but it's also just like Hans Zimmer's score made it feel like, so just like, fuck yeah, Batman. (laughs) (laughs) Like that score was so epic. Um, that like if that score wasn't with it, it may have been a cheesier moment, but I, I think it's uh, the way I phrase it a lot is like I think Dark Knight is the better movie compared to Batman Begins, but I think Batman Begins is like the best Batman movie if that makes sense. Like movie Dark Knight, Batman movie specifically, like straight up adaptation for me is Batman Begins. Because of just, like, how he's able to, like, kind of modify some stuff from the comics, but also um, stay true to some of it, too. I I really enjoy Batman Begins, and it's very torn of being my number three or number two um, film of his. But uh, for now, it's my number four. And, yeah, let's... Uh, not much else to say, because uh, there's not much bad to say about the movie for me. But, uh, Jess, let's move on to your number three. Top three. Well, my number three is Batman Begins. (laughs) What's interesting is, like, from three to, like, seven, like, mine have been just, like, a notch above where yours are, which is (laughs) probably because the prestige is so low on mine. But, um... (laughs) Other than that, you know. And Memento so low on mine. (laughs) And Memento so low on yours, which is interesting. But, um... Yeah, I think I agree with you. It's a very good movie. There's not a whole lot of flaws with it. Um, I I understand what you're saying, though. I, I'm not, a like I've said before, not much of a comic book reader, but I do understand what you're saying, that this is like probably the best like Batman adaptation, um, whereas Dark Knight is like just the better in general movie. I, I kind of agree with you on that. I think it does a great job of like introducing Batman and laying out the groundwork of like movies to come. But while doing that also keeps you grounded in like this current movie and what the story is right then and there, which is really interesting. Um, I think that Scarecrow is actually a really fantastic villain and kind of gets a little overlooked. I find him like very interesting and really intriguing. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoy it. And I get what you were saying that this is like the better Batman movie, whereas Dark Knight is like the better movie in general. Um, and I'm not much of, like, a comic book reader, like I've said before, but for me, I, I agree with that, that this is probably, like, one of the better, like, Batman movies, especially if you compare them to the movies that, like, came before it. Um, so I really liked I, I really liked Batman Begins, and I think you're right. There are, like, are a lot of, like, really cheesy moments, but, like, in, a, like, a fun kind of, like, way. Like, the only noticeable flaw that I could pick up on was Katie Holmes. I knew you'd... I was like, it's coming. It's coming stands, at some point. Oh, it does. Uh, like, I think, like, the whole cast is so good. I think she's just, like, noticeably the weakest one. And I think for that reason, she stands out and is, like, actually a flaw. And also the... 
storyline with um, Carmine, what's his name? Um, Falcone. Falcone. Yeah, like that kind of was like, eh, we could take it or leave it. But like, other than that, there are like very few flaws in this movie that I think. And I do find it to be, like I said, like a really good introduction on who Batman is as a character, even though obviously this wasn't the first time audience had seen him. It kind of felt like it was in this like different perspective. Um, so yeah, I I really like it. So I have it at number three. Uh, yeah. So uh, my number three is a movie that you put way low on your list, uh, The Prestige. This movie, I think... <coughs> I, I I got some of your complaints, especially like the spoiler with the the twist of Christian Bale being a having a twin and they're sharing each other's life, like they're pretending to be one person, and like one of them has a wife, one of them has a girlfriend, and like I get it, like uh, when you really examine things like that, like yes, it's problematic, but also like I really enjoy the performances from both Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman in this movie. Um, I'm, I'm also a sucker for magic. Uh, I remember when I was younger, I wanted to try to learn it, but I didn't have the patience. Um, I, I think it's cool how it's a magic story that takes place in this time period. Like, uh, like they didn't do a modern day thing. Like this is like, like 1800s in England and, um, some of the twists and turns you know with like wives dying or like people this like it's that's not the best but like to me like when you're really paying attention to like these two men who are just so like obsessed with the idea of being like famous and being the best like magician i think i just loved uh like the twist I think once I know the twist and like maybe this is how some people are from Memento but now that like I've seen the twist I like going back and like watching and trying to pick up like okay like which twin is this like had they been doing this since they met Hugh Jackman or was this a thing that he did uh later like when did that start you know and like I don't know it just to me I thought it was just very interesting and I uh, like I said, I see your faults with it, but I also just like, I don't know. I just enjoy it. I don't think it's like the best movie ever. I didn't want to be like a stereotypical white straight guy that's just like, Oh, it's, it's you, you don't get it. Jess. It's like, <laughs> no, like I know that you're an intelligent person and have, you know, good opinions on a lot of movies. Uh, but like, I, I, I didn't want to like dismiss you, what you're saying about it <laughs> like I get all the things that you're saying and I'm like this is one of those movies I'm like I'm not upset where you put it on your ranking I don't think it is for everyone and you you just like we're like yeah it's it's not for me anymore it's like yeah that's fine you know I think I think it kind of is like I, I I appreciated some things and who knows maybe years from now I'll be watching it again and be like yeah this isn't aging as well as I thought but for the moment when I have recently rewatched it, I still do enjoy it. And I do think it's one of his better crafted films. I think the production design and like the casting, uh, I think it's just really well made. And so that's why it's my number three. And that leads us to Jess. What is your number two? So my number two is one you had shockingly very low at the very end of your list. My number two is Memento. Wow. Um, yeah. 
I kind of see, like, kind of like what were you, like, you were saying about um, how I took the prestige. I see kind of how you took Memento. I kind of get it, but like, for the reasons that, like, you said you didn't like it. Like, I kind of, I kind of liked it for those reasons. <laughs> like, like you said, it was kind of gimmicky and like how the story was revealed. And if you like just had a, um, if you just like narrated that story in like a chronological regular sort of way it probably wouldn't be that fascinating and like you're right about that um but I think the gimmick of it is fascinating and pretty cool and pretty unique for movies um I think so one thing like I really do like about it is that there isn't really a movie that's ever told a story like this before and in this way and in and what I mean by that is not only in like in the um non-linear sort of way but also this is like completely based on one person's perspective and completely biased in how he's telling the story which I find really interesting because when you're first given the story you think that this is what accurate what it is what you think what you're learning is accurate and then you come to find out that actually the character wanted to remember things this way or wanted to disregard what people were saying or didn't believe people. And so he shaped the narrative in his own way, which I thought was really interesting. So, like, for instance, like, he doesn't want to remember... He, he doesn't believe this guy, so he tells himself, like, don't believe it. And if you don't know what the... If you haven't seen the movie, again, I don't know how you've been listening to this entire episode. <laughs> but, um... It's about a guy who suffers short-term memory loss and has to sort of navigate his way through a, I guess, intense scenario and and how he'll get through it when he can't even remember, like, what he's doing. Um, so the pieces of the story are are in his perspective. I guess, like, is that, I guess that's how the best way to describe it without, like, giving too much away, I guess, because it's a movie that can, like, be easily spoiled. Um, but I... I do find it to be very unique and stands out out of, like, to, to me, it's the one that stands out the most in terms of, like, the unique plot line of it, and I think that that's probably why it stands a little bit more through time than, like, some of the other ones do, because it just feels like it still is fascinating, and it is interesting to watch, um, probably for the gimmick alone, that's what I think, um, but yeah, and I do agree with you, Guy Pierce is great in it. He's very, like, underrated. He's not in as many things as he should be for how good of an actor he is. Um, and so I liked him as a leading man. I thought he was really good and really fascinating. And um, just, you know, point of, like, personal privilege, this movie inspired me to give myself a tattoo. So I hold it, like, <laughs> I hold it very, like, deep to my heart for that So that's why it's above reason. Inception. No, no. <laughs> So I, I, I was actually, like, really young when I saw this movie. I was, like, 14. And, like, in it, one of the ways that the character, like, tries to, like, remembers things is that he'll, like, stab, he'll take, like, a needle, a tattoo into his skin to remember things. And I was, like, so angsty as a teenager. I was like, that's so rad. That's so cool. That is so cool. So I actually tried to do it. Okay, but here's what, here's the thing, though. And kids, if you're listening, don't do this at home. Um, he would take a needle and dip it into pen ink and then stab the skin with pen ink. But that doesn't work. What you need to use is henna ink. <laughs> so 
I tried it once. I tried it with the needle and pen ink. Yes, this is real. And because I really wanted a tattoo, tattoo is so cool. Um, and the pen ink didn't stick, and I was like really disappointed. And like I don't know how like I didn't get any sort of infection or like like have to get my leg amputated. I don't know how, but I like was fine, and it like oh my it God. just healed. Like the the ink just like washed away, and it just healed. Like nothing happened, so I was really disappointed. And then I was telling one of my friends about it, and they were like, "Girl, you need to do henna ink." So I did it. I actually still have a a little heart on my ankle. That's a stick and poke tattoo with henna ink, and it's so yeah. I actually this gave, needs to go on the Instagram. I, <laughs> I literally gave myself a tattoo because oh of this fucking movie because I was a stupid teenager and it seemed really cool to do it. And like looking back, it was really dumb to use pen ink. I should have known like that was a bad idea, but I did it and it didn't work. So yeah, so that's yeah. I have this this movie in a special place because it's the reason I have my first tattoo. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I was such an idiot as a teenager. Like, oh my god. I don't know how I didn't die before I hit 20, but somehow I made it. <laughs> somehow <laughs> I made it. <laughs> but uh, uh, on that note, I guess... <laughs> yeah, I learned something new about me, huh? Like... <laughs> yeah, always. Um, <laughs> so, my number two is a film that was a lot lower on your list, uh, which is Inception. Um, yeah, this is, is not my not my number one, as you might have thought. Uh, I, I do really enjoy this movie. Um, there's a lot of parts that, like, as you were bringing them up, and, I, like, I, I get where you're coming from. Kind of like The Prestige. It's like, these are there, there are some stuff here that it's like, it's funny how, like, I'm so much more defensive of Dark Knight Rises compared to, like, Prestige or Inception. Um, but it's, like, more so, like... Ne- never mind, we won't even get into that. I, I, like, I just... I get what you're saying about Inception. I get why some people may think it's overrated or think it's not as good or think it doesn't hold up anymore. But, like, for me, personally, it does. I just... I, I, I love... Like so many of Nolan's movies, I love Hans Zimmer's score. It's, like, amazing. I love uh, Leo DiCaprio, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. This was kind of one of the first American movies to really get Tom Hardy noticed before he started getting some bigger roles after this movie. Everyone's like, who's this British guy? Um, I, I think Killian Murphy is very underrated in this movie especially like the scene where he's with his dying father like in the dream and he's just like bawling like i think uh like you said the action sequences with the uh the production design of the spinning hallway for joseph gordon levitt's fight scene the uh the many layers but also different locations for the layers like the first layer it's raining and then the next layer uh you know they're they're in the hotel the third layer they're in like this winter like call of duty like location <laughs> like skiing on a mountain and yeah i i just to me i've seen videos really pick this movie apart like oh it's all exposition and like oh it's all this but like i don't know maybe i it's cuz i'm such a sucker for heist movies i am a sucker for um the fact that it was, it, it just, 
especially at the time when it came out, like it felt just a little different than other action movies in the sense that, uh, I think a lot of the stuff they did with like practical effects, um, it's not all like CGI and, uh, but also like great use of CGI when they do do it. I, yeah, the scene where fucking Leo DiCaprio is with his wife where she's, you know, spoilers about to kill herself um because she thinks she's in a dream and she's trying to wake up and she like literally frames leo dicaprio like if you don't do this with me like you're gonna be branded a murderer like i had myself declared sane and that i was fearing my life for you it's like oh my god that is so crazy (laughs) and then like just you know him watching that happen then having to deal with the aftermath of being in other countries because he can't go back to america i really just think that Inception's a thrilling ride. I enjoy the fact there's there's a lot of people that are like, oh, there's some of this movie that's confusing. It's like, n- no, this movie, like, with the dreams and stuff like that, like, if you really pay attention, I like movies that kind of, like, don't treat the audience like they're dumb. Like, it does explain things to you. Like, like a lot of people are like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, Arthur, is kind of just the expository machine. And, like, Ellen Page's character, because she's new to the situation, is the one who's just getting explained everything. And, like, I get that as a writer, but I just love the fact that also some of those details, they don't just, like, treat the audience like they're dumb. Um, yeah. But, uh, so that is my number two. Jess, I think that means we have the same number one again after we did our Tarantino ranking. This happened again. I think so. I think it's just... (laughs) You think so? (laughs) It's gotta be, right? By, like, process of elimination. Following. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Surprise, what a plot twist. Oh, my God. It's like (laughs) prestige. What a plot twist. It's following. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So, Jess... Go ahead and say it. What is your number one? My number one is Dark Knight. I'm guessing that has to be your number one, too. By process of elimination, oh yes. My, God, my we're number so one. Smart. Well, I'm surprised you didn't just know this would be my number one. <laughs> I kind of figured it would be. I did. It's great. Because, first of all, it's great. And I know you like really like it. And it is it's an amazing movie. I honestly like. I don't have all that much to say about it because to me it's just like the obvious choice of my favorite movie of his because it is, it's The Dark Knight. I mean, it's so epic. It's everything. It's, it's, I think it's beyond a superhero movie, obviously. I think that the performance of Heath Ledger obviously is like lightning in a bottle. There is nothing like it and there will never be anything like it again. And for that reason alone, it's very high up there in regard for me. Um, but like that alone, like the sequences, the actions, the story of it, the way it's just like builds up, builds up and builds up, up until the very end. Like it's not an anticlimactic movie at all. I think the payoffs are great. Um, honestly, like the movie, that opening sequence is everything. Like that alone is why I love it so much. I think the opening of the bank heist is incredible um along with Hans Zimmer's score it's just like a match made in heaven um 
I think it's one of the best ways, like, a character's ever been introduced in cinema, which I know is a bold statement, but, like, that's really <laughs> how I feel. Like, it's just so neat to, like, see like see his heist play out and get, like, little snippets of who this character is only for this, like, big reveal. Like, within a few minutes, it was really incredible. Like, seeing all this play out and then hearing these guys be like, so you know they, you, why they call him the Joker, right? And, like, you're getting, like, little, like, tidbits of, like, into this villain and who he is. And then at the end, it's just, like, you see who he is. I, so, like, honestly, like, that opening sequence alone is why I love it so much. <laughs> like, it's so good. And then from there, it just continues on to be so good. Um, so, like I said, I don't have a whole lot to say about it because it's just... It's a dark night. Like, duh. It's incredible. Like, it is right? incredible. Duh. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, yeah, I've talked about my love for this movie on this podcast many times. Uh, when we did our top ten of all time, at one point it was my number one, and like now it's kind of my number two, like, of all time. So, of course, for Nolan's movies, this had to be my number one movie. Um, I think... As this list, like, for the most part for our list, when we have talked about the problems with Nolan movies or the issues or this, 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 um, like, obviously, as the list went up, things kind of, like, less problems and more better things than this, uh, like, at least for our own opinions. Um, but, like, we can both agree that, like, Dark Knight, like, there are very few flaws in that movie. And that's why, for the longest time, it was one of my favorites is because, like, there's not a lot wrong with it uh like some of the flaws like sure uh, to me personally there may be some editing and direction stuff as far as the um like quick cuts and uh like the action kind of being missed but like some of the sequences were directed really well and obviously um just like from batman begins an incredible ensemble cast of christian bale gary oldman michael kane morgan freeman all these people. And then, of course, uh, well, a, a very underrated because of Heath Ledger's performances. Aaron Eckhart, I think, is great as Harvey Dent. Um, I do, like, kind of wish that one of the other flaws I have for this movie is, like, I do wish that they had kind of, like, not rushed that whole arc and maybe, like, pushed Harvey Dent to being, like, the villain of the third film. Um, but... Even so, it was handled as well as it could be for what they tried to do with it. It's two and a half hours long, but like I wanted there to be more. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, the to me, like I love not only Heath Ledger's performance as the Joker, which is obvious, like everyone loves that performance, but to me, I love the writing for the Joker because like he, they make the Joker so intelligent with these plans and these schemes, like. The th even the little things that we don't think about like sure he does like fucked up things like when he has the two bombs one is attached to Rachel one is attached to Harvey Dent he gives the opposite address to Batman of like uh, where Rachel is so like Batman shows up and it's Harvey Dent like what a fuck you so that like Batman gets there just not in time to save Rachel and the fact that uh, they do kill Rachel. Like, I know it's kind of, like, it's a term now, like, fridging the wife-female character to, like, the male counterpart of, like, superhero stuff to give him motivation for whatever. But, like, even without that, like I said, the tiny things, like, Joker knows that Batman only goes at night, so he starts doing shit during the day. He's like, I'm gonna shoot... 
uh, like a police commissioner or a mayor, like or whatever. Like I'm gonna do stuff in broad daylight, because Batman doesn't come out during the day, and so there's different sequences where like Batman has to go out just as Bruce Wayne, but sort of like under a motorcycle helmet, or he needs to go in his fancy car and go save the day, but it's during the day. Like it's just little things like that. I'm like, wow, they wrote the Joker so well, like he should be in the comics. He's one of the best villains, like I think of any media comics movies tv um so yeah this movie not a whole lot wrong with it i think it it holds up even uh this year was its 10 year anniversary uh which is crazy to think about but i think it holds up just as well i think that even another 10 years from now people are still going to look back at some of the best superhero movies of all time and it's still going to be the dark knight like it's just that good it's that um prestigious uh it 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 kind of also sparked the controversy of like why can't movies like this be nominated for oscars just because it's a superhero movie and not like a a period drama or whatever like they usually like to nominate so it just had such a impact on the industry as a whole and also it was just a great movie um but yeah, Jess, you were describing that bank sequence, and I was like, God, now I want to watch it. <laughs> right? Same. Like, this, that is one movie I don't re Like I've said before, I don't rewatch movies a lot. The Dark Knight, I could rewatch, like, once a week, and I would still, like, love it. Like, it's just... It's just so good. There's so many yeah. good pieces to it that you kind of for, almost forget about because there's so many good things to look out for. Um, and I've, like, said a lot with a lot of Nolan movies, I've said, like, they haven't aged well where i think the opposite is actually true for dark knight where i think it actually like gets better with age and like you kind of regard it more as time passes for like how good it was and how much like you said it kind of like changed the idea of like a superhero movie or a blockbuster um some things like it changed for good but then sometimes i feel like we just we look at the dark knight and we look at the quote unquote like darkness of the dark knight and i feel like sometimes superhero movies just think like oh well we only have to be dark and it'll be good hence fantastic four remake but like um <laughs> it's it i think the dark knight really did just elevate the game a little bit more when it comes to like popular movies and blockbusters and superhero movies like it showed that like not Every summer movie has to be cheesy and campy. Like, they need to be at a prestigious level, too. Um, yeah. I love it. I love it. I just love the movie so much. I think it's amazing. Yep. I really do. Yeah, me too. And I just think that's hilarious that we've done two of these director rankings episodes. We did Tarantino, um, and we had the same number one. And now Christopher Nolan, and we have the same number one. So it's funny how even though, like... You had some stuff that was at, like, your last couple that were at my top, and, like, same goes for me. Like, I had some stuff at my bottom that were at your top. Our middles were somewhat similar, but when in doubt, our number ones were the same. <laughs> yeah, I think kind of Tarantino went similar with that, too, where our top tens were very different, but number one was the same. That's interesting. Yeah, I'm excited I'm, to keep, like, doing these director series more and see, like... Too what our number ones are from here on out. <laughs> yeah, so listeners, please, like, we do have some directors in mind, some directors, um, 
such as like Edgar Wright or uh, maybe even David Fincher, but like, please give us some directors. Like, obviously, there's some directors like Steven Spielberg or Martin Scorsese that have like way too many movies to rank all of them, but like, maybe we could just do a top 10 of those directors that like of those movies or things like that so please give us suggestions what are some directors you would like to see us rank their movies um will jess and i pull off a trifecta of the same number ones (laughs) three times in a row um please yeah reach out to us uh leave a comment on itunes or wherever you listen to uh tweet at us at entertain buffet or you can reach out to Jess or I uh, individually. Jess, where can they find you on the social medias? Um, I am at Jess Quaz on both Twitter and Instagram. And on Twitter and Instagram, I am at The Pros, T-H-E-P-R-O-Z-E. And you can also uh, like us on Facebook, Entertainment Buffet. Um, please rate, review, subscribe, all those things. Uh, you can also email us for episodes you want us, things you want us to talk about. Entertainmentbuffet at gmail.com. And uh, I'll also shout out, like I said, my comic book that I'm making with Joe Mangles. It's a pirate original new comic book called Flintlocked. It's coming out very soon. We've created social medias for it while we're still locking down the website and getting sales all ready to go for the first issue. You can follow us on Instagram at Flintlocked Comic. And same for Facebook, Flintlocked Comic Book. You can find our pages there, and you can see some of Joe's amazing artwork and um, be up to date when announcements come out for um, the website and the first issue. Yes. So that is our ranking of Christopher Nolan's, uh, of nine of his movies. What are your rankings? Please reach out to us. And who else would you like to see us rank their movies for? Uh Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your patience with the gap of episodes. And we hope to get back on track soon as we approach episode 60. And uh, yeah, Jess, we now learned never record in the morning. Never do it. Mornings are awful. (laughs) I'm going back to bed. Bye. (laughs) All right. Bye, guys.